I suspect that most of us are familiar with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those names roll right off our tongue when we think about those three men and what they went through. Your brain's probably jumping straight to their story. Or I might say their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we know them all much better by. References to these three men have occurred various times, even in uh, somewhat popular culture. Martin Luther King Jr. referenced them in his famous letter from the Birmingham jail. Johnny Cash sang a song about him called The Fourth Man in the Fire. And if you're a parent of little children like me, you may recognize a VeggieTales episode entitled Rack Shack and Benny with Bob the Tomato, Junior Asparagus, and Larry the Cucumber, and which tells their story along with many other references. So let's see what's so important about these three men. The story of these three young men and their friend, Daniel, begins, uh, according to Expositor's Bible commentary, uh, with them being taken captive from their homes in Jerusalem around 605 B.C., during a siege by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. All four were intelligent, good-looking young men at the time of their capture and were likely part of the nobility or royal family of Judah, we're told in the first few verses of Daniel chapter 1. This deportation was the first of three and a starting point for the 70-year captivity of the Jewish people. Now, unlike the normal practice of victorious kings uh, throughout history, who typically only allowed the people of their own ethnicity to rule while enslaving all the peoples that they subjugated, King Nebuchadnezzar determined to train those with the best minds among all of the people within his kingdom, even those that they conquered, for governmental service, regardless of their race. And on this basis, Daniel and his three friends were selected for a three-year program in which they would be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now, one of the first things that happened to these young men was the changing of their names. That's recorded in Daniel 1 and verse 7. We will be reading a fair bit from Daniel uh, here, you can start turning there, but I'll uh, make a note about the name change. This comes from Matthew Hem- Henry and notes in his commentary. He says that the Hebrew names of these three young men, which they received at their circumcision, had something of God or Yah in them. Uh, Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah is the grace of the Lord. Mishael, he that is the strong God and Azariah, the Lord, is a help. To make them forget the God of their fathers, the guide of their youth, the Babylonians give them names that after their Chaldean idolatry. Belteshazzar uh, signifies the keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel. Shadrach, the inspiration of the sun, which the Chaldeans worshiped. Meshach, of the goddess Shak, under which name uh, Venus was worshiped. 
and Abednego, the servant of the shining fire, which they worshipped also. So this was part of the attempt to ingrain them in the Babylonian culture and even the Babylonian religion. So what lessons can we learn from the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did God include them in the Bible so we would have a good children's story? So VeggieTales could have some good material? Or was there another reason? Actually, as we'll see today, the overall lesson we learn from the lives of these three men is learning to live by faith. Learning to live by faith. I won't turn there, but I will quote two scriptures to you here quickly that are rather foundational scriptures regarding faith and its importance. First is Hebrews 11.6. We were in Hebrews 11 earlier. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we must have faith in order to please God. The second one, Romans 10.17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. So today, we're going to hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As we begin, let me explain that the book of Daniel records three tests of faith for these three men. And these three tests are found in the first three chapters of Daniel. And after this, the Bible does not mention their names again. So for those of you who watch Sesame Street... Today's sermon is brought to you by the number three. (laughs) So let's turn to Daniel chapter one as we start here today. Let's refresh our minds on the story of these three young men and the three tests or trials of faith that they faced. I mentioned... uh, A little bit of this in my introduction, how they were brought to Babylon and the characteristics that were looked for there. The new names that were given to them are mentioned in verse 7 here. And we see that Daniel and his three friends quickly stood out amongst the others in this training program because of the food and the drink that they wished to consume. Verse 8 gives us the the start of this particular test. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And although Daniel was apparently the first to resist the king's food and drink, We see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are soon shown to have the same mindset. That's down in verse 11. Uh, They're mentioned by name here as well, the same same reason, or, or in the same boat with Daniel here. Now, we aren't told in these verses what specifically Daniel didn't like, right? What was it that he regarded as being defiling about the king's provisions that were assigned to them? 
And the most likely possibility is that this was food that was sacrificed to a pagan god of the, the Babylonians, Chaldeans here. While some have suggested that perhaps the food was included unclean meat, maybe that's the case, that doesn't explain why Daniel and his friends didn't want the wine. We know that God does not forbid the drinking of wine in moderation. So perhaps it was used in some uh, religious uh, ceremony by the Babylonians. And although the Babylonian overseer was reluctant to grant uh, these four men's request not to eat the king's daily provision for them, he granted them a 10-day trial, which is covered down here in uh, verse 14. And we see then uh, verse 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, their features were, appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. So therefore, they were able to eat what they wished. And notice the outcome here, verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. There's an important, important lesson to be found in this first documented test of these young men's faith. It would have been relatively easy for them to have reasoned that since they're now captives in a foreign land, that they could no longer adhere to the customs of worship that they'd followed while they were in Jerusalem, in Israel. But they didn't abandon their faith. Of course, real faith means obeying God even under difficult circumstances. And as we'll soon see, this relatively small test of faith, at least in comparison, laid the foundation for more difficult ones that would follow. And we see here now uh, the last few verses of this chapter. Let's read in verse 18. This is at the end of the days, so this is at the end of their training that they had gone through, this multi-year program. When the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding, about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm." So we see here, they were viewed as some of the brightest young minds, appointed to positions to serve within the government, and God had blessed them for their faith. Let's turn now to chapter 2. We see the second test that's recorded for us here in the Scripture. Daniel chapter 2. We see here, let's start in verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. Verse 3, and the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. 
Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. This is probably the normal way things go, right? Uh, I'm sure if you type something into the internet, you could find somebody who would attempt to interpret any dream you choose. But the first thing they will ask is, what is your dream? And then they'll come up with whatever answer uh, they think you should have. But we see here the king says in verse 5, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. But of course, if you do, there's great reward and honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And so we have this argument back and forth. No one can tell the king his dream, right, without, uh, uh, or interpret the dream without him telling him what it is. And the king is very firm in his opinion. You tell me the dream and you tell me the interpretation. Otherwise, that's it. So we have this standoff. And uh, I'm sure great pleading, great back and forth. And we see verse 12, the king was very angry and very furious. This is a, a theme we see a few times in these tests of faith. Uh, apparently, Nebuchadnezzar had a temper, right? Uh, not a mild temper, a heavy, big temper. Gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out. One problem, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were considered wise men of Babylon. This would be an incredible purge, and they too would be affected by this decision of the kings. Verse 13 says they sought them out, Daniel and his companions, to kill them, and they had begun killing the wise men. So here, verse 14 we see with counsel and wisdom, right, uh, very carefully, Daniel comes before Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, and asks for the story. What's going on here? Why is it so urgent? And Arioch fills him in here. And so Daniel went in, verse 16, and asked the king to give him time that he may tell the king the interpretation. And then notice verse 17, Daniel went to his house, he made the decision known to his three friends, to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So we see that this wasn't just Daniel facing this test. They were all in this together. Their lives were equally at stake, and all four of them appealed directly to God for intervention, for the saving of their lives, and the mercies of the God of heaven, as it says here. In verse 19, we're told that the secret of this dream was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, I won't cover the particulars of this dream or its interpretation. It's not the purpose of the sermon today. But Daniel is able to go in, tell Nebuchadnezzar both what his dream was as well as the interpretation of it. And their lives were saved along with the other wise men in the city of Babylon. Let's notice the end of this particular 
test and chapter here, down in verse 47. We see the king answered Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. No one else could do it. No uh, hunk of stone or wood or metal carving that they called a god provided the answer. Only the God we serve. And then it says, verse 48, the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And then notice also verse 49, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So here we have test number two, a little bit higher stakes, uh, we might say, than the first that they faced, and that is recorded here for us, but sets the foundation for what we see in Daniel chapter 3, and the test that these three were most well known for. Let's turn there now over to Daniel chapter 3, and verse 1 tells us, sets the scene for this test. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then we see he reaches out to all people through his whole government over these next uh, several verses and has uh, the heralds proclaim this in verse 4, that it's commanded to all the peoples, all the nations under their government and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp and lyre and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." Now, as you can imagine, as Daniel and his three friends were promoted and moved up within the government, there were rivals. There were others who didn't like their position that they were in. And we see here in verse 8, there were some that were very quick to come and tell Nebuchadnezzar uh, about uh, what they were doing when this was, was found. We see verse 8 says, At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You've made this decree. Here's the consequence you've set. In verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Let's call them out by name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid you due regard. And they do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Here we see verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. Once again, he uh, calls them in to bring them before the king. Verse 14, he spoke saying to them, is it true? You can just imagine, he knows it's true. But uh, asking them this loaded question that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. And he's going to give them one last chance, right? We're going, to, we're going to do this again. I'm watching right here. We're going to play the music, and this is it. 
But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answer the king and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. How hard that must have been to say in the face of an enraged king of a world-ruling empire. We see here That did not improve Nebuchadnezzar's mood, as you might say. And you see in verse 19, it says the expression on his face changed towards these three young men. Here they were, up to that point, rising stars within the Babylonian government. Well thought of. Earlier on in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar thought they were ten times better than anyone else. They'd been promoted and moved up. All that forgotten in a moment. As we know, commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. It was so hot, it was burning up the guys who had bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them in to the fire. And they're cast in to these flames. These three men, it says, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Notice verse 24 here. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound men in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God's miraculous intervention here is incredible, not only to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were prepared that God may not intervene. They said he has the power to intervene, but if not, we're still going to do the right thing. Nebuchadnezzar, witnessed all of this, goes near and commands them to come out. This time, his demeanor is totally changed. It says in the middle of verse 26 here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And they came out from the midst of the fire. Verse 27 tells us they had no singeing of the hair on their head. There was no smell of smoke upon their bodies. They were completely untouched by the heat and the flames. We see this Once again, recognition by Nebuchadnezzar of the power of God and the faith and loyalty of these three men. In verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I think there's a number of enduring lessons of faith we can take from this story of these three men, of these three tests of faith that they faced 
and succeeded in, and God's intervention in saving their lives and blessing them in each step of that journey. The first one that I want to discuss here today is to have faith to obey God in big trials, we have to start by being obedient in the little trials. Life's challenges sometimes escalate in intensity and potential consequences. We know the principle that he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. And Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were tested in something early on in chapter one that might seem very minor or trivial in comparison. Uh, Maybe they could do some kind of compromise. Okay, we'll eat this, but not that. We'll drink, we'll have some of the wine. Uh, God doesn't forbid that exact part. Uh, They could rationalize it, come up with some compromise. But if they'd done so, would would they have had the faith to face the next test and the next? Don't know. One of the other characters in the Bible that comes to mind of this is David faced the wolf and the bear long before he faced Goliath. Faced, those were certainly big challenges, but much lesser challenges than Goliath that he faced as a shepherd in the fields looking after his father's sheep. Thinking of what Mr. Demarest was covering in his first split sermon today. What's the sin that we've put out over these last holy days? What next step do we need to take? What's our plan? We have to take that next step. As James 4.8 says, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Faith builds step by step, piece by piece. And we need to take that next step. That helps our faith grow and strengthen to take the next step and the next step and build that momentum and build our faith. Second lesson of faith is that trials of our faith come in part so that God can see our thinking. How are we facing those? How are we thinking about these trials? You might remember after the great test of faith for Abraham and being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, we see the verse where God says, now I know, now I know that Abraham was willing to go that far. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Mr. Demarest referenced a handful of verses in this chapter. I'm glad I picked a few different ones. Hebrews 11, we have a few verses here that give us some insight into what Abraham was thinking as he faced that trial of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 17 it says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. And notice verse 19, 
This gives us this insight that we don't see in Genesis, but we do see recorded for us here about what Abraham was thinking about during this test. It says, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So we see that Abraham was reasoning through this trial, thinking about it. You know, God had told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's uh, an unimaginable test for any parent, let alone here was the child of promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah well beyond their normal childbearing years. How do you reconcile that when God says, here's this child of promise through whom you shall have great descendants and all the promises that he gave them, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And here we see Abraham concluded, God can resurrect him. That's how he got his brain around those two things. And when he was ready to do it, and God intervened and said, now I know. Now I know. What does God know about you? What tests have you faced? What has God learned about how you think about those tests and about your faith and your confidence in Him to be able to deliver you and help you through those tests? You think some different reasons why Abraham may have had enough faith in God to face that. Similarly to the first point, this wasn't the first test of faith in Abraham's life. He'd certainly seen God's intervention in his life well before that, physical blessings he'd received from God. The child of promise, certainly Abraham talked with God. We have several of those interactions recorded in the scripture for us. I think certainly because Abraham's life was one growing in faith over the course of his life through the trials and tests that he experienced. We're told Abraham is the father of those who believe, and so we too should expect to have our faith tested. In some ways, every trial, every stumble is a test of faith. If you think about it, we talked a little bit earlier about overcoming sin. That's also a test of faith. Do we trust that God can deliver us from that, can help us overcome it? Third lesson of faith I want to mention as we reflect on this story is that tests of faith are often focused on resisting the world's influence. Often focused on resisting the world's influence. Even though we live in the world, we are not of the world, we are told. God's call to his people throughout the ages is to come out of the world. And that's just what we were reflecting on in the days of unleavened bread. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not let the influence of the Babylonian culture 
overwhelm their faith in God. Even though they were given new names, they were instructed in new language and new information, they were given new foods, all sorts of uh, tests were there to assimilate and become part of the world in which they were embedded in, even up to worshiping the idol that Nebuchadnezzar set up upon the plain in that final test. It's hard for us to imagine ourselves in those shoes. This is a story that happened thousands of years ago, different part of the planet. But we are also tested by the influence of this world around us. The broad way out there versus the narrow path we seek to follow, all of us in this room. How are you being influenced by the culture around us? I don't think any of us could claim to be completely unaffected. It's pervasive, it's everywhere. It's music, it's media, it's books, it's news, the internet, it's our neighbors and our colleagues at work, many of which are fine people trying to do the best they can with a limited understanding, captive to the ways of this world and the deception of the God of this world. Is it, are we allowing that to creep in to our lives? Do we even recognize that we're in a test of faith and how we let those things in our lives? A fourth lesson of faith. Tests of faith are ones that ultimately determine whether we live or die. You know, we look at physical lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in these stories, and their lives were on the line in at least two of the three tests that they faced. And do this or face death, physical death. But in the bigger picture, our spiritual lives are on the line. When it comes to tests of faith, the stakes couldn't be higher. We have to remember that our eternal life is at stake. And what we do will determine whether we'll ultimately live forever as part of God's family and His unending kingdom or cease to exist. While we're here in Hebrews 11, Mr. Demarest talked about some of the others. We see in verse 34, first part of this verse says, quenched the violence of fire. We don't know, but this may be a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even so, certainly the point is valid. Romans 1 verse 17 says, the just shall live by faith. We have to reflect on these three tests of this threesome to inspire us to likewise face our trials of faith with confidence 
and resolve. As we come to the end of the Days of Unleavened Bread, what's the next step we need to take? What's our plan? How do we strengthen our faith and draw one step nearer to God? He draws a step nearer to us and one step more and continue that journey of overcoming sin, of growing our faith and building that momentum as we go forward to the kingdom of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith in God in spite of the difficult circumstances that they faced. So can we. And we must have faith in God in order to be in his kingdom.